From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Tuesday, June 6th. June is Pride Month across the country and right here in Utah. Salt Lake Magazine's Christy Porter recently wrote about LGBTQ plus history at Brigham Young University. Lara Jones and Rashawn Leak with our partners at KRCL spoke with Porter to discuss BYU's complex history of activism. Here they are. Christy Porter from Salt Lake Magazine. Thanks for being here. Yeah, of course. You have a great piece that's on stands now, Salt that's Lake right. Magazine, and it's about visibility in particular at BYU. And, uh, you know, that's Brigham Young University. But uh, tell us about the activism in particular, because that's what it's about, your piece. Yeah. How far back do you trace it? I mean, so ooh, that's that, that's kind of a tough one. So I really starting out wanted to take a look at sort of the turn and the increase in visibility that yeah. started with the uh, honor code change in 2020, mm-hmm. right? Because I think a lot of queer students at BYU felt this freedom and then Absolutely. all of a sudden taken away. Okay, and so what happened for folks that don't know? Sure thing. So back in, I believe it was probably February 2020, um, BYU removed a section of its honor code that seemed to at one time explicitly banned, uh, you know, demonstration of homosexual behavior on campus. And when that happened, a lot of queer students saw it. They got excited they felt free that sounds it it felt like a call to freedom right i saw that and went somebody didn't edit something coming out of the church office building right Mm -hmm. and they're going to realize it in about a week or two and it really kind of spurned a lot of you know excitement at first and then when you know there was a ces letter that came along that letter later clarified that even though the more prescriptive language was no longer in the honor code um nothing has changed ces (laughs) Uh, church education system. So there this is the kind of the governing body for uh, BYU, uh, BYU Hawaii, and BYU Idaho, and other church yeah. educational bodies for so the LDS Church specifically. For a fleeting moment, it felt like uh, I don't have to be ashamed. I don't have to be apologetically you. Yep. Yeah. The theme of this year's Pride, unapologetic. E- exactly, and kind of you know going along with that, there there was this you know not. You know, not an ex- non-existent, right? As I think some people might want to believe, you know, contingent of the student body at BYU who is LGBTQIA plus, you know, mm-hmm. and they were very visible and very upfront for, you know, the maybe not the first time, but maybe not to that scale ever. And because of that visibility, because of um, you know, we're we're kind of seeing in mass these groups come together. I think it also emboldened kids who might not, well, kids, students who might not have been out yet or who well, y- might yeah. not have asked themselves those questions yet or felt safe to ask themselves those questions. Because doing so, you could lose your, your credits. Your, exactly. You could your use your enrollment and yeah. be disenrolled. So I guess the question is, well, when when they had that, because I, I thought the same thing. When you see that removed, for a hot second, you're like, oh, is the church coming to their senses and recognizing that all lives really, you know, we're going to jump on it, all lives matter. And so we're we're creating a safe place. So for students, was there any kind of backlash then? Because I was reading your article and it said like a lot of people were finally coming out and uh, being unapologetically them. But if the code didn't change, if they're holding hands like Jonathan was talking about with his husband, or if they're showing any affection to their their significant other, 
are they could they be reported and, and thus kicked out of school again? I mean, unfortunately, with the way that the Honor Code Office at BYU works, we're totally reliant on you know word mm-hmm. of mouth stories from students, mm-hmm. and and some students are very open about yeah. their experiences with the Honor Code. And for anybody who wants to know like more details about like some of those experiences, there used to be an Instagram Honor Code stories. Mm-hmm. Um, that specifically, that's a lot of what they did is they took anonymous confessions from students, you know, telling about their Honor Code experiences. But as a journalist, like, it's a private institution. They're not handing that info to me. They're not giving me those numbers. (laughs) The population down there, student body, you do a great snapshot. There's like, whoa, 34,000 round numbers, students. And you actually get some data on sexual orientation. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of this data has been collected by, you know, organizations within BYU. And, you know, for the first time, some of these, you know, professors and stuff are allowed to ask these questions. Like, how many queer students do we have? How many, you know, students have had, you know, homosexual experiences or, or you know, consider themselves, you know, some gender other than strictly male or female? So, uh, yeah, it's these kids are here. <laughs> right. Uh, sorry, student. They're honestly, I'm so impressed by, you know, the students that I talk to and the kind of organizing they're doing. And I think coming out of uh, that 2020 decision, what you really see is not like this defeat. They're not this like they didn't pull back. They didn't go back into hiding. You know, they didn't. The term that I got a lot was hush hush. Right. Mm-hmm. Prior to 2020, what a lot of the students told me was it was all very hush hush. Um, but then after that, they're like, well, I'm out. The cat's out of the bag, right? Yeah. Or the, the closet I, door was yeah, right. kicked, kicked open. So, so instead, you see this sort of surge in, in student groups. So we saw BYU Pride Forum that later became uh, Cougar Pride Center. We saw Rainbow Collective Forum and uh, these other groups, you know, gain, you know, the USGA who's been, you know, they've been, I think they're the longest running. They've been there for over a decade, I think, at this point. But um, but yeah, so instead of getting, you know, scared, uh, they started organizing. And I think that's sort of what drove me deeper into the history to see, you know, what has this looked like in the past? And pretty much the the thing that I could uh, maybe connect it to the most was... Um, to me in spirit felt very similarly was student protests back in the late 60s and early 70s to get black athletes uh, represented at BYU. Um, so that was sort of... And they've got the black menaces on campus right. today and it, at there's, BYU. There's this fantastic uh, you know, intersectional support that we're seeing. Um, black menaces led a... Uh, uh, a protest. It was part of a nationwide protest, Strike Out Queerphobia, which is specifically trying to get rid of the uh, Title the Nine exemptions that mm-hmm. religious institutions have. So essentially, it's the loophole within Title Nine, which you know all schools that receive government funding have to follow. But if you are a religious institution, you basically have freedom to discriminate as your religion allows. Yeah. So they are trying to shore up those those exemptions. So religious institutions like BYU, who receive government funding, have to make sure that all of their students have the same resources extended to them, that, you know, your marginalized students are, you know, allowed to come to school at operating at the same level and on the same footing as other students. That was Christy Porter, writer for Salt Lake Magazine, discussing Brigham Young University's LGBTQ plus activism. Porter was in conversation with KRCL's Lara Jones and Rishon Leak. 
Last month, Navajo Nation officials launched Operation Rainbow Bridge. It's a program designed to help Navajo citizens caught up in fraudulent rehab centers that preyed on and scammed Indigenous people. Chris Clements with our partners at KSJD reports. Navajo Nation Attorney General Ethel Branch says that in Navajo culture, a rainbow is used to indicate movement from place to place, hence the operation's name. Governor Katie Hobbs announced in May that the state would take action against over 100 of these predatory sober living homes, which have sent recruiters to tribal communities across the western United States, targeting the unhoused and those struggling with substance abuse and taking them to facilities in the Phoenix area. In many cases, behavioral health services aren't provided at these sober living homes, and alcohol, or sometimes alcohol laced with drugs, is offered during initial transport. Branch says she believes that there should be an enhanced formal vetting process for each facility that seeks to provide services under the American Indian Health Plan. I think that is one huge issue that needs to be addressed. I mean, it's beyond the point. Um of needing remedy. Branch says Operation Rainbow Bridge will remain in the Phoenix area for some time and will assist Indigenous people who need help either returning to their communities or finding a legitimate rehab center after being caught up in this system. I'm Chris Clements. The Grand County Commission meets today. Maggie McGuire of the Moab Sun News takes a look at what's ahead. On the agenda for this week's Grand County Commission meeting, commissioners will hear presentations on issues including local weed management, current news from the Grand County Public Library and Four Corners Behavioral Health Center, and hold a workshop on potentially changing eligibility requirements for the High Density Housing Overlay, a development ordinance that seeks to increase available housing for local workers. Commissioners will also vote on renovations to the town boat ramp, funding from the Economic Development Department, and discuss the future of the Moab to Monument Valley Film Commission. Grand County Commission meetings are held on the first and third Tuesday of every month. Today, workshops begin at 2 p.m. and the regular meeting at 4 p.m. You can watch all the workshops and meetings online at the Grand County, Utah YouTube page. And that's the KZMU News for Tuesday, June 6th. Get your community-powered journalism weekdays on the airwaves at noon and 6. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.